You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Abracha. This is On Principle, Challenges in Jewish Education. And I have with me, uh, through the magic of Zoom, Rabbi Dr. Zev Elif. He's in Chicago, but he is the chief academic officer of Hebrew Theological College, uh, an institution, by the way, that I was associated with for over 20 years, and the, uh, an associate professor of Jewish history at Tura College. Um, he's the author of nine books. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about his uh, role as the author of those books and his most recent one, Authentically Orthodox, A Tradition-Bound Faith in American Life. Um, and I know that many of our listeners, based on our analytics, uh, are people that are probably are familiar with uh, Rabbi Dr. Zev Elif, and um, his name is, has almost become household in the last couple of years. Um, Rabbi Elif, doctor? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, thank you. Know, you. Yeah, uh, you know where I really the analytics really show is that I'm well known in the back row of shul. <laughs> well, that's where it starts, right? You know, that's that's where you're going to definitely make. Uh, I am I am the tallest book, <laughs> tallest bag book for many many people. Something that they women put it, but yeah. Yeah, something that they have to read. But that itself is a, is a great testimony. We'll talk about that a little bit later, I hope. Um, I want to start in, in, in the area where uh, we have uh, a connection. Of course, uh, I had the great honor uh, to have you as one of my students in, uh, in, in Ida Crown Jewish Academy. The... Hey, junior year, come on, Rebbe. <laughs> That's it. And, uh, and I still remember many, many of your points. And uh, whenever I see you up there, I say, yeah. That was somebody who passed through along with a lot, a lot of, that was a great class. Um, I want to talk about this other place where you are, a place that I, I actually invested, as I said, 20 years of my life at the Hebrew Theological College, which of course merged with Turo. And then you became uh, installed uh, as the chief academic officer. So I understand, uh, I don't know, I totally understand what the title is, but I know that you do oversee what Hebrew Theological College does in its education, and uh, we know that there are two sections to HTC. I actually was in both. Uh, I tried to straddle both, and I understand what they are, which is the yeshiva, which is mostly in the morning, like a, a typical uh, litvisha yeshiva or any yeshiva, chesidish yeshiva, where the shiurim and people are preparing, and you have rabbeim, and you have a smicha shir, and you have a very fine uh staff of Talmidim Chachamim that are, that are devoted to their Talmidim. Uh, and then you also have um, sec- what we, I guess probably a misnomer is calling secular studies, but also uh, Jewish history, um, philosophy, Tanakh, uh, plus a, a number of uh, actual pure secular studies that happen, I think, uh, through the afternoon, on Sunday afternoon and uh, at night sometimes. Uh, this has been a, a a, uh, to say the period's unprecedented is really overdone. <laughs> we know that this has been a period that everybody has struggled with. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a, an overview of how HTC has fared uh, during the lockdown, during the pandemic, and speak, if, if you don't mind, to both parts of HTC, that you have this unique perch that you have looking at both of them. Right. Yeah. So thanks for having me. This is uh, so much fun. 
Um, so I, I'm the chief academic officer, the provost in charge of academic programming at uh, what's known in Chicago as the Yeshiva. It's uh, I'm contractually obligated to pronounce it Yeshiva. <laughs> Is that um, so? <laughs> the uh, um, and I work obviously together uh, with the CEO, uh, Rabbi Shmuel Schumann, uh, the dean of Blitzen Institute, Chani Tesler. Um, I have, I, I try to support as much, and this will, uh, I think, to answer your question, um, the Fassman Yeshiva High School, uh, the boys' high school, um, that's led by a principal, Rabbi David Kupchik. Uh, and together, uh, I think we have a really great senior uh, leadership. The um, COVID-19 was a, a miserable situation, to say the least, uh, for everyone. Um, it was harmful. Um, it produced uh, new levels of of fear. It unfortunately took people's lives, of course, uh, and it really did uh, change how uh, we do education, Jewish or otherwise. I think that's that's clear, that's obvious. Uh, Chicago, and probably everybody else, was a week behind New York, and so the partnership that we had with Turo was incredibly helpful because I had, um, I had peers, colleagues, and I had a formula that um, worked, usually did work, most did not, um, and how to transition online learning. So uh, everybody remembers Friday the 13th, March 13th, uh, in which uh, things really went uh, into isolation. Uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker uh, declared for Illinois uh, that we would be, that uh, schools would be closed. Um, we were about a, a week into our uh, preparation, and so essentially pushing a button to make sure that we moved uh, transition to online learning. And by that, I mean mostly Zoom, although not exclusively. Um, and that was for the high school also. Uh, we, were, we conducted orientation uh, for Rebellion, for general studies, certainly. Um, I made house calls, I remember, uh, Sunday morning with Purell and a face mask uh, and went into people's living rooms uh, to just make sure that they, that they had the right technology to make it work. Um, general studies operated Remember, Zoom is not exactly online education. It's remote learning. It try, Zoom tries to approximate the classroom as best it can be. But it's what, what's called in the field synchronous, right? It's happening in real time. And uh, students and professor, teacher are, are interacting as closely as they can to an in-class situation. Um, so general studies really operated um, well. In the high school, uh, Gemara and college, Talmud courses, Smicha as well. Um, I think, and we did a lot of surveys with parents, with students. Uh, people were very happy with how we transitioned. We didn't lose a single day of instruction. It was really, really incredible assessment to a team effort. What we also saw, however, um, was that for students who came in this, I am so, I'm, I feel so terribly for all of the 18, 19 year old young women, young men who came back to America, their year in Israel was interrupted. Um, and we offered, um, we offered courses, we offered um, college classes to men and women through Blinstein and through our men's division. Um, and they took advantage of it. They did that all the while plugged in to 
you know, BJJ, Shalavim, Reshit, uh, Benos Chava, Benos Rachel, whatever your Benos might be. Um, and, and they were still plugged in and learning from their teachers in Israel, sometimes as late as 4 or 5 p.m. Um, and, and that was wonderful to hear. What's, I raise this because as so much of local Torah education has moved online, it's created this vast marketplace of Torah education. And a marketplace also has competition. And there have been, and I think we did very, very well for our constituency, and we produced materials, and for Shavuot, for Shavuot, we had a, uh, um, a, a, hand, uh, um, a pamphlet of materials of not just learning, not just essays, but do-it-yourself learning. Uh, and people are doing learning in all sorts of different varieties, all online. Um, and it's, it's really created a logjam, in, in some ways very good, uh, of learning. It's also meant that people who might have been averse to uh, uh, leveraging so much technology and learning, they were traditionalists, uh, they, they didn't uh, uh, look for texts on Bar-Elan, Hebrew books they didn't download from, uh, certainly not Safaria. All of these people, whether they were, they didn't feel comfortable using it, they didn't want to use it, um, they've all um, really jumped they have made tremendous headway in their Torah education literacy. Uh, and that's been wonderful. Um, we've seen people, and, and we've seen that in, in our faculty at HTC, we've seen that elsewhere, is that people wanted to learn how to do more. How do I produce a source sheet? How do I use PowerPoint and present a, uh, you know, a slideshow integrated with my Zoom learning? Uh, Zoom teaching. And and for that, uh, we've seen a lot of great um, people really the world over um, produce really quality Torah Jewish education. Um, I think that the entire educational community um, was applauded generally for their efforts. Uh, I hope and I pray to God that we return to normal, we resume in the fall, and that's our plan. Um, with, uh, you know, with masks, but in classroom education, uh, but we'll never be the same again. Uh, we will, once technology, the genie is out of the box. Yeah, so I guess introduced, yeah. Yeah, sure. So I, I, it's almost like, you know, without making a sort of a joke on it, resuming, in other words, we're actually mm-hmm. going to go back, but, but it'll be a, some sort of hybrid. And um, I think what you're saying is great uh, in terms of, uh the familiarity, and I think when historians like yourself and others are going to look back at the story of Jewish education, they're going to say that this uh, that might have been one of the silver linings uh, of this terrible. People are becoming people are people are becoming allergic to Zoom in its format. They want more. Um, they can't stare at a screen for that long. Uh, so we're gonna. Ha- it's going to push people in the coming months to think about alternative modes um, for reaching people. Uh, that's 100% true. I mean, as someone who has been uh, glued to the uh, screen for uh, for the last four months, there is a certain intensity, which I don't know if this really should really be part of learning. Part of what allows learning to be powerful is that you get the shot of the Rebbe <laughs> looking at you, you know, with a certain 
element of, of strength at one point in this year, as opposed to constantly staring uh, into his face, and he constantly staring into your face. Um, uh, psychologists and others have talked about this as well. Yeah, of course, there's going to be, uh, there are weaknesses uh, with all the strengths. But you've been pretty diplomatic, I think, uh, Dr. Elif, uh, about you know, how HTC has fared up. I think you've hinted to the fact that um, some of the people who are, are, are noticing their, coll- their, their friends who are able to be online with other institutions, it's sort of perhaps, as you say, it's almost a threat to what, we're, what you're offering. Uh, you're almost getting a right the sense that hey, <laughs> since there's so much out there, instead of me necessarily going on to Zoom and and being part of uh, HTC, maybe here in my uh, in, in my attic or in my bedroom, I can be part of a number of different yeshivas and maybe sample yeah, stuff. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example that I think really uh, uh, really homes in on what uh, we're talking about is that when uh, in I forget it was must have been April right before Pesach. And uh, somebody nearby had told me that he was still doing Dafyomi with his Magid Shir. Their group that met at Congregation Oratora and Skokie was still working uh, with uh, the Magid Shir. They didn't, they had, think about it. How many different recordings are there of Dafyomi out there? There must be dozens, if not hundreds. Like a Dafyomi learning group, they want to stay connected to their teacher, to their friends. Yeah, well, I found that actually I had a similar experience. Of course, I, I'd give it Dafyomi for many years. Uh, we call it Dafyomi Deferential. And for uh, many of the podcasts where I uploaded them, but I, I did have a, 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 the people stayed with me. And part of it, I think, from Zev is that, uh, Rabbi Dr. Zev, <laughs> is that people, even though they don't mind Zoom bombing, as they say, like, like falling in and, and in a place, there is still a sense of community even in the Zoom world, and you feel comfortable with the person that you know, uh, even though you're not necessarily talking to him, but the fact that you, you, you know he'll respond to a chat, you know that that person will uh, be involved with you. The people that you know, the person that you know, to cultivate new relationships is incredibly difficult. So transitioning an existing community and relationship into Zoom has its challenges, it's entirely possible as we've seen. But to develop new connections through Zoom is very, very hard. Yeah, I I think especially even though we do try to, uh, I've noticed in the last four months that we do try to exude uh, a positive uh, sense towards the outside world, I think that, and again, I might be playing armchair psychologist here, but I think the attitude of fear and mistrust translates there as well. I think it carries over. Of course, you're not going to become infected by someone who Zoom bombs you, who someone who shows in, but there is a, a certain attitude is, hey, you know, we, we, we circle the wagons. We're with the people that are our friends. Uh, we, we Zoom with friends and family. And similarly, the people that are part of the, our sheer normally. Uh, and and, and I, I have found that because I have sent out uh, Zoom invitations to hundreds and hundreds of people, but it's usually the same people that, that show up. So I think that's, uh, again, I, I think that's, we, we can't necessarily compartmentalize as easily as possible. So, so I guess what you're telling me, uh, uh, Zev, is that um, you're proud of what you guys were able to accomplish. Um, I think we did really, really well, of course, though. Um, that's that first stage, and we have to prepare so many different contingencies. Uh, what if we created, like you you had mentioned, a blended curriculum? 
uh, what if, uh, how do we um, mollify concerns about too much Zooming? Um, can we provide a menu to our educators, both on the college, uh, graduate school, uh, undergrad, um, high school level? Um, can we provide a menu of contingencies and options of how to deliver online education? Um, are we gonna be in the classroom for the morning and early afternoon? Um, does everything uh, need to be done online? What are we gonna do about uh, science courses uh, with labs? Uh, virtual labs are, um, they only go so far. Right now you're seeing in the, uh, in the medical field, um, uh, people who were serving residencies. Um, they had to do it virtually. How does that translate into a real world experience? Uh, we don't know. All of, the, all of the skills that we were meant to acquire in 2020 of whatever uh, life cycle, whatever age, whether we were aiming to acquire trigonometry, uh, uh, a graduate work in, in academic studies, professional law school, dental hygienist, dance, whatever it is, social skills, Whatever we went to acquire, we are going to have to revisit those. All of us. Yeah, I, 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 I also would like to comment on something that you said before, um, that you talked about the close working that you have with the other principals in an HTC, which you mentioned include the high school. Uh, of course, I was... Uh, you know, I straddled both areas myself when I was there at the uh, working there. And I think despite the fact that, you know, there's some grumblings about the school not growing, I think that the fact that you're smaller, the fact that you actually can work with them and that there's this uh, real personal connection that you have and you do have a smaller uh, student body, I think allows you to tinker with uh, the product. It certainly helps it with social distancing. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not just trying to to to, to paint a uh, you know a rainbow picture. I I think it actually to me, imagine a big unwieldy institution with a lot of people being territorial. Uh, I think it would be a lot harder. I think you're blessed in that way uh, that you're we're able. Nimble. We're, we're much more nimble. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, hundred percent. And you have people that can wear two hats or three hats. And speaking of which, uh, I, I can't let you go. Uh, unless we talk about this other hat we talked about, I said in the beginning of the program uh, about the books that you've written, uh, like you say, the, the author of uh, the, the Talis Bag author. Um, and, and I really think, I, I mean this without, uh, without any you know, false Hanufa you know, towards you. Um, I think Hanufa is my bad, some false. But uh, uh, you know, I have really watched your career grow and I've, it's really been uh, very exciting uh to see it and and i think that you know and i've read many of your articles and i've referenced them on, on my classes uh, that I, I try to give and uh, and hyperlinks all the time and and your articles uh the ones that i'm really very excited about when i read them are the ones that are really thoroughly researched uh, with copious footnotes, uh, references, and, and discoveries that, that you are able to find uh, through dogged research and understanding. Uh, you've enlightened me uh, over the years uh, in, in personal conversations about things that you've done. And yet, you, you, you haven't had your, your head buried uh, in academia as much as you love it and thrive in it. And I think you've been able to become a voice, uh, which is uh, for a popular yet authentic understanding of Jewish history, especially, of course, American Jewish history. Uh, I, I think a recent uh, example of it 
uh, is the really nice article uh, that came out in uh, the most recent Jewish Action uh, about uh, the Ben Yafuna uh, program that was uh, spearheaded by Leo Young and uh, starred famously uh, uh, Herman Wook. Uh, a real great read. We're going to mention it in the in the in the, in the notes. Um, so, can I ask you a couple of things about that? And I think it might 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 tie in a little bit. Um, one of the things that I that I noticed in the article, uh, and again, it's available online uh, in the Jewish Actions site, was that uh, that one of the members and you found in the notes uh, said that Orthodox institutions would be helped if they'd be brought under one central head. Uh, they can make one big appeal for all yeshivas. Um, now, that was, of course, written in the uh, post World War II. Yeah. Um, but but I'm just wondering, uh, do you think that that perhaps is another call that needs to be heard again, especially as uh, the economic uncertainty that 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 seems to be ahead for us, according to all prognosticators, right? Uh, that maybe we need to start looking that way as well. Um, that you know, there, there has been almost like a and I think that we saw that in the implosion of 2007, when a lot of the schools had to close, that there's just been so many institutions that have opened up. Maybe we need to think about that way again, to sort of think about that in terms of tapping necessary funding. So I, so it's definitely a possibility. Uh, my sense is that, um, I'll give you some historical examples. In the early 1980s, uh, there was much internal discussion between the Orthodox Union and the National Council of Young Israel that they were duplicating their efforts and they ought to merge. And eventually that spilled out into the press. No less than the Lubavitcher Rebbe uh, wrote, uh, unsolicited, wrote to the president of the Orthodox Union saying such a thing would be misguided, that we need a multiplicity of opinions, we need a multivalent perspective uh, in all of our institutions and to coalesce um, uh, our agencies would be to lose some of the texture of Jewish life. That being said, um, the you know United Jewish Appeals and Federations have merged, um, schools have merged, synagogues, schools have merged. Um, so we're not uh, mergers are not anathema in in American Jewish life. Sure. And I, I think HTC and H HTC and Turo. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and there's a there's a local feel that HTC has for the Midwest and Chicago, and obviously Turo with its larger systems uh, and expertise in uh, professional healthcare has been marvelous, uh, to say the least. Uh, so on one hand, uh, on one hand, uh, I think that there while there are mergers that exist. Um, on, uh, on the, the broader national organizations, I don't know if that's going to happen. That being said, uh, you know, they say that uh, 90% of philanthropy is uh, supported by 10% of the population. Um, what's the term that's used in, uh, in American Jewish philanthropy, and it's borrowed from elsewhere, is legacy institutions. There are these innovators, there are these disruptors of Jewish life in a good way. Um, PJ Library is such an example, Birthright Israel and the broader American Jewish scene uh, that are doing a lot of good with new ideas. 
And then there are these legacy institutions, JCCs, synagogues, um, uh, certain camps, certain schools, um, you know, the, uh, for a long, long while, uh, there were um, Hebrew institutes, right? Um, not HTC, although it's Hebrew Theological College, but I'm thinking more about um, the Boston Hebrew College, for example, which repurposed itself into a rabbinical school. Um, and, but the ones in Cleveland, the ones in, uh, in Baltimore, have since closed down or um, become enveloped into other institutions. Um, it's been harder and harder for legacy institutions to survive and thrive in, in increasing in that marketplace of, uh, of American Jewish experience developing organizations. Um, and now that there's less money to go around, uh, I don't know how eager, um, whether we're talking about the mega funders, the family foundations, or just uh, people who are so uh, fortunate and so caring to give uh, significant funds, um, I think they're gonna, it's gonna be harder to make decisions uh, to give to multiple uh, institutions, we might see uh, some fold. Uh, we've already we've already seen fears of that. We've seen layoffs. Uh, we've seen um, the JTA and the Forward um, post articles about uh, organizations using uh, this moment uh, to go into strategic planning. Um, I can see it go both ways, but I think that um, I think generally in American culture. We like to see our organizations. You know, Judaism is not so, it's not really that top down. Uh, there's not a grassroots culture in American Judaism. Uh, we don't have a synod, we don't have a, a Sanhedrin. Uh, we like to see our people and our styles uh, manifest into Jewish life. And that's why. Uh, very often, a shul will have five different minyanim. They'll have, they'll have multiple schools, even though it's not necessarily efficient or educationally wise. We want our school, rightly or wrongly. We want this type of school because I have this point of view, or to use rabbinic parlance, hashkafa. Um, it would, it would be, it may, it may be that this moment is so cataclysmic that we will surrender um, sort of a boutique culture of Jewish life and see that will a streamlining and uh, paring down of institutions. Um, at the same time, I think that we value that in American life. Uh, we want, it's sort of on-demand religion. Yeah, it's very I'm, much in I'm wondering again, you know, we, we, we hear about it, of course, uh, in the press a lot, but how America has done a terrible job in terms of how they've responded in mass uh, to the, to the warnings of doctors and scientists. And part of it, I think, is because of what you're talking about is this idea that uh, whether it's called the boutique culture, I want it my way, this is the way we do things in the West, in the South, in Florida, or uh, you know, in certain parts of Jersey. I think that that has caused a, uh, uh, an, an ability to really have met this crisis in, in, in the way that it was met in other countries uh, with a lot more success. Uh, again, you know. You're certainly more decentralized than ever before in our frames of mind, in what we want. Um, I, think, I think there's much truth to that. And so there's this tension between um, limited funds and uh, representation. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to see any organization being able to capture 
the mood, the tenor, the gait, the pace of, of a larger group. I think that that's something that uh, we use that term before, the genie is out of the bottle. Uh, I think that that on-demand culture, think about it. Uh, think about Netflix. Uh, you can, whatever you want, when you want it. Hard to imagine um, a centralization uh, operating and still allowing for that culture. Yeah, well, it, it could be again. You know, we, we we can probably pontificate this uh, about this for a while, but there's got to the same way. You know, uh, COVID nineteen was able to uh, marshal a lot of different forces and cause people you never thought to work together to work together and to synthesize. I think that uh, you know necessity is the mother of invention, and when those funds dwindle to the point that they're not there, I think that the type of bonding you're going to find that yeah you can have a big institution and you have the or you have the yeshivish or litvish part and you also have the more modern orthodox part and it's all part under one umbrella and you'll be able you know you could still get that boutique aspect but at least the monies will be going to one place and i think that will allow it hopefully to be funneled in the way that 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 will create strength and create vibrancy now it might be you're right. There's going to be people that are going to lose their jobs, but again, you know, that's part of you know that that's part of that window that'll open, that'll allow people to do different things. We hope. Um, I just want to end today uh, with an, with the last comment that you made, uh, the last the last sentence almost of that wonderful article in Jewish mm-hmm. Action, where you say the the efforts of the Ben Yafuna Society are an important reminder of the power of lay people beyond the purview mm. of organizational life to make a pivotal mark on Jewish history. You know, I, I, I've tapped you today to speak with because uh, of your position of a, as an educator, chief educational officer. Um, and we talked here about the big donors and the people that uh, could commit. Uh, and you mentioned them before. But it seems to me that the, it, it wasn't so much uh, Jung's money or Wook's uh, celebrity. It was also their their willingness to think outside of the box, their willingness to say, I might not hold a position, but I'm going to try to do something and look at the situation, try to change it. What would you say uh, as an example of something that you can see the average layperson, the guy who sticks the Zev Elif article in his Tawas bag, what's, what, what are things they can do uh, to make a pivotal mark and, and to change things? You know uh, that's that's a really interesting question. I <laughs> I think that as we imagine what um, what what Jewish let's focus on Jewish education or maybe the shul education and shul um, as two places because we can get this can we can cast a very wide net here. Um, I, I think that if rabbis and educators are still the content providers. What they've had to do over the last three months, maybe this is what ties our conversation together, is they've also had, they haven't just been content cultivators, but they've had to think of ways to transmit it and learn on the go. It's kind of unfair. Uh, there's, I, I know of no smicha program that offers uh, a master's uh, integrated into their program in educational technology. Uh, people have had to learn, I even say, about uh, invent, you know, um, invention necessity. Uh, it, it really has happened that people with no great, at least um, uh, transcripted expertise on delivering the content have had to do both. Um, it will be 
incredible to see the, the uh, cohesion, the, the synergies uh, between lay people who have that expertise in technology, uh, who have that expertise in fundraising and in and management, who are going to work on all of these different levels of how are we going to bargain technology in Torah? How are we going to do shul in a in you know in concert with public health policies? Uh, what does education look like? Uh, how are we going to do scholar and residence gigs in the future? I'm particularly curious about that one. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, that's going to uh, really, uh, what, what's going to determine um, the outcome of those questions are not just going to be the religious leaders and the educators, um, but who else? And it's going to be, it's not going to be who is going to support them. It's going to be who's going to partner uh, with providing uh, the scaffolding, whether it's the technology, whether it's financial infrastructure. Um, and we're going to see maybe the first time in, in decades, uh, we're going to see um, the sort of the purveyors of Torah and Jewish education um, have to uh, trust, not even trust them, but they're going to have to accord much more trust um, to uh, people of, with other skills uh, to um, help steer the future. I think that um, you know, I've always wondered why it is that when we ask a math teacher to teach geometry in the 10th grade, we provide uh, he or she with a textbook, but we don't uh, allow it. We don't do the same thing for a Navi teacher or for a Gemara Rebbe. We don't provide that level of resource. We don't just say, here's the material, now go ahead and teach it. They have to simultaneously, often in Jewish education, be the director of curriculum in their classroom and also uh, have the expertise to transmit that education. Yeah, but something that uh, I actually worked very hard for, and it was one of the, one of my lasting things I did in the academy was to make sure that every and they still that's I don't know if Lenny Matanki will own up to it, but that was one of the things I pushed for was that each Rebbe should teach a specific uh, subject and become an expert in that subject as opposed to we're a yeshiva and we're going to be learning one mesechta. And of course that is that that is clearly something that that comes from a secular perspective, and I think you're correct. Uh, we need to listen more, whether whoever where the voices are. And kama that we are all the more so uh, that uh, because we are now unhinged from whatever was the default. I, uh, I, agree. I agree. We are and going I... to see us leaning in. And looking for people with other skill sets, and those, so when you ask what can those lay people do, uh, they are going to do a lot. Uh, I, I agree, and, and and there has to be, I think also um, the questions can't be asked out of desperation. You know, one of the things that 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 I remarked upon in one of our shows was the desperate way that the OU was speaking to Dr. Fauci. Uh, and then, of course, in a time of desperation, we know how to turn to people who can't help us. Even we're not desperate, but to understand that the wisdom is there, to understand that the partnership is there. It isn't all about satisfying the balabatim and, and taking their money from the other pocket, but actually, like you say, recognizing everybody's worth, what everybody's life experience brings to the table, and how people can help. Um, so, Zev, I think that you've uh, given us, in many ways, uh, a, a very interesting description of where the world could go, I think, in a very realistic way. And it comes 
I think, Ramzev, and you've proven uh, over and over again that it comes from understanding the past, understanding what we've been through in the past, understanding a sense of what these institutions are, the history of them. And, 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 and you've really, it isn't just an interesting read to find out about what history is, but it really does allow us not to repeat the mistakes and to actually learn the best of how to move forward, especially in this uncertain time. So thanks a lot. A for, task. Yeah. Thanks a lot for, for spending so much time with us today. Uh, I hope I'll be able to tap you yes, again. Yes, so, please. I think, uh, everybody be safe. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, my friends. And that's on principle. We're at Hashem. We'll be back hopefully soon. With Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.